You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Welcome to the Hunt of Ore podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 107, Hunt of Ore in Montana. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick recalls his adventure for archery elk with his buddy, Brock Dean. Together, they tell their reactions to a week of super highs and deep woes, close encounters and hellacious climbs, and what helped them to have really good success as greenhorn western elk hunters. Not a lot of animals died, but a couple get really close on this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. I tell you, we are on the cusp of a cold front. We could already feel it. I'm currently sitting in the back seat of the Silverado right now. We are in the, yeah, the high life here of the studio. We're at the campground, so this is my only safe place that I could get away. We go from one big adventure to the next in our family. What I feel is what we do all the time. But I really wanted to take this time and just unpack to just go ahead and do an after-action review of the trip to Montana that myself and we have with us tonight, the guest. He was, I want to say, a huge part of the planning and the scheming and the attack portion of our trip. We have who was formerly the PLW, Public Land Warrior, Switched over to private land warrior as he goes about his uh, acres on the east side, and then yeah, attacks the private land or public. Excuse me, the public land again. We are here with Brock Dean. Brock, thanks so much for uh, jumping on tonight. I know it's been a week since we've seen each other and lived together. What seems like a never-ending uh, few days, but uh, how has acclimating back home been this week for you? 
Uh, you know, I, I really noticed uh, my appetite, like, for the, like, first three or four days on the way back or after we got back. Like, man, I could just not eat enough food. Like, every meal I'd eat and I'd be full. And, like, 15 minutes later, I feel like I was hungry again. Like, just getting back those calories in from the burn. It was, uh, yeah, it was really a, a difference. Of those items, what was what was the things you were craving most? I was craving bread like a pregnant woman craves pickles on her ice cream. Like I went through, I think three or four bagels in one day. Cause I just could not <laughs> get enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I had a real hanker for like, um, Mexican food, you know, something with like a ton of flavor that freeze dried. Some of it's pretty good, but it's just, it's not like bursting in flavor. And I really just wanted like, you know, I'm a spicy guy and, uh, I just didn't get enough of it out there. So that's what I was jonesing for. Gotcha. Bringing back the spice in your life. Mm-hmm. How did the kids? Uh, how the kids react to you coming back? Were they uh, Were they excited? Were they? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, they were excited to get a hold of you. Yeah, and we got back. I think I rolled in at like six fifty a.m. after being up basically two nights in a row. Um, so yeah, as I walked in, they were getting up, and uh, yeah, I don't think I went to bed for a while after that. And they're of course them and the dogs were just freaking out excited when we got home um yeah it was good it was good but i was i was exhausted yep yep we uh yeah you guys dropped me off at that point it was three in the morning um walked in and yeah the dogs go off kids woke up uh they wanted to say their highs they wanted to give hugs and immediately my youngest was like hey tomorrow morning at breakfast you're you're making the cast iron pancake right so here they are, eight o'clock a.m. You know, you, you get a little few winks, and then it's like, all right, it's now it's back to business. We've got we have duties to fulfill here. the The dream trip is now over. Yeah, same. I I took like a three hour nap. I think I woke up at like eleven, and then our town had their family fall days or something, uh, whatever they call it. But yeah, they have a bunch of you know shut down the street and had vendors, and we went up there, and yeah, it was a it was a long day, but you know, it was good to be good to see the family. Good to be back. Good. Good. Well, I still think that, uh, future Brock, future Nick are looking at our past selves and we're really, we're really okay with feeling the burn, feeling the tired, because I don't know about you. I, I have experienced one of the most incredible adventures that I have had in a long time. I've been on several backpacking trips, I've been on a canoe trip, getting getting into the wilderness, getting away from society and technology, and really just kind of honing in on the experience, uh, diving into the environment that is presented right in front of you. Those have all been things that, you know, I'm, I don't want to say I'm used to, but what we went through, I feel, was just that experience plus 50 not only we were, were we in an incredible environment of the Western United States, but at the same time, the activity that we chose to try and chase elk with archery equipment, I feel like this is a hunt that is accessible to a lot of people, but at the same time is got such a, yeah, got such an adventure behind it that, man, I can see why people will do this year after year after year. Same, man. I couldn't, after I finished it, my brother who went on the trip with us um, and is 10 years younger than me on the way home, I was like, 
I was talking to him and I was like, man, I'm kind of jealous of you because you're starting 10 years younger than me. And I wish I could have, you know, kind of went back and maybe jumped on this bandwagon a little earlier than I did because it truly was like an amazing adventure. And we came back exhausted, but I'm already like thinking about the next time I go. Um, so yeah, probably got a little, little addiction building up. I can already feel it. I tell you, it, I mean, it's going to keep us off drugs and alcohol. I can tell you that I can't, aff- I can't afford blow. So I, <laughs> because I got to go, <laughs> I got to go, uh, get some elk tags, but at the same time, I see you sitting there with some whiskey. What you got? You got, uh, just bourbon. You got straight bourbon. Uh, it's actually Jameson Irish whiskey, Jameson black. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, tonight I didn't feel like tapping into anything. I've just been doing the uh, sparkling water, but we were hauling the camper, so I should have had a beer. Yeah. But we're just we're just gonna call it quits. I'm still going into work tomorrow, so. Oh, okay. Um. So yeah, like six days we took off to Montana. Um, I guess we can say the we can say the mountains that we were in. We were in the Little Belt Mountains. And I want to say you were really on the forefront of our e-scouting, of our screen scouting. Um, what was kind of like a little bit of your methodology as you were planning this forward? We were texting and, and showing what we were, what, basically you were just showing what you were going through. What were some of those key things that you were looking for when you were narrowing down your search as you were going through basically looking at a, open wide map what helped you narrow things down yeah and and i don't know that i've got any like special secrets we basically um i just read a bunch and tried to find areas that um well one we had some criteria from the wise where we weren't supposed to be in like real heavy grizzly grizzly territory so that like narrowed out a lot of the far western mountains in montana um so we were looking at some of those island chains you know kind of east of the the Rockies there. And um, I was just looking for areas that had like limited road access or trails that were closed during um, elk season um, and trying to find pockets where it was difficult to access. And then obviously looking at some go hunt information and on X and trying to find those secluded areas or places where there was going to be a lot of drainages for us to inevitably, inevitably blow up. Um, so we had a lot of options. And then, yeah, just water, food, cover. Um, I don't think I had, like, a, a, a great plan going in, but it, it worked out pretty good for us. <laughs> you Well, I, I totally bought your bluff because you came in <laughs> with such a confident plan. And, uh, yeah, I was all on board. Knowing all the effort that you would put in, that really kind of just – it was nice. I, at least on my end, I was like, okay, he's got a direction. Brock's got a plan that he wants to go with it was nice to not have to like conflict with other ideas. Like I really chose like, you know what, if he's going to take forefront on that, I'm along for the ride because I am literally a one day expert in this, or I am literally, this is my very first time. So for me to have any conflicting information, I was like, shoot, that's just going to make some rough. Let's just go with what he's got. And I want to say like your, your planning, your preparation, even on those areas, whether it was luck or whether it was absolute skill, man, you hit it right on the nail on the head. We were hearing, we heard back from a bull elk on that first day, that first hunt when we climbed 
straight up the side of the mountain, which I'm sure there's a learning curve that goes along with all this Western hunting. Here we are coming from Michigan where, shoot, you just find the you find the ravine and you can shoot right up, down and up, and no big deal. This was a big deal. <laughs> Day one, I think we really kind of burnt ourselves by going straight up that mountain. But once we got to yeah. the top, I tell you, it really did open up, and it was – it was yeah. Once we got to the top, everything was looking amazing. We saw sign. We had places to glass, but that whole two thousand foot from bottom to top that was a big <laughs> chunk to take on. Yeah, that first day, um, that that that's probably like my biggest takeaway is that looking at where I had planned to camp and then looking at where I wanted to go, and and we basically did that exactly what I was hoping to get done that day but it was about a thousand times harder than I thought it was going to be looking at a map <laughs> and then quickly maybe realized the week was going to be, you know, it's going to be rough if uh, we hit all the areas that were, you know, why we chose the area um, that we were in was to get in deep and, you know, get away from the roads a little bit. And yeah, it, it turned out to be a, an endeavor to do that. You know, you did, you wanted the road less traveled and there, there was not a lot of human sign. I think basically due to like insanity, I think they were probably like, yeah, that's not a good idea, but we went ahead and did it anyway, scaling mm -hmm. up the side of that. Um, but it also kind of really brought into, I thought I had done a lot of work for my fitness level going into this, this hunt. I feel like buying points, um, we essentially bought two points. Uh, one in the previous years. So this idea of the elk hunt was kind of something we've been stewing on. So we knew this was coming. So I was setting some fitness goals. And I feel like even with all the progress I made, even with all the effort I put into improving cardio and making sure that I can, that I can haul weight, uh, that was just a drop in the bucket. And I think there was probably an element too of we're, we were camped at 6,000, which isn't, very i mean isn't you know nationwide super high but to go in a place where you live that sub thousand feet above sea level to now living at six and trying then to operate at seven and eight that i i really think that took a toll at least on my like my reserves i just did not have the the stamina that i normally do so I was I was in the same boat. There were a couple of nights um, hiking back. You know, it's well past dark, and we're only halfway up the mountain. And there were thoughts where I was like, I could just probably sleep right here and just be fine. You know, I was I was gassed. Um, it was significantly harder than I thought it was going to be. I was not in as good a shape as I wanted to be. Um, yeah, a lot of lessons learned in in that area, but um, I don't think we did too bad for what we ran into and what we. Uh, what we ended up accomplishing as far as the whole trip goes. Um, but definitely different plans going forward into the next trip. Yeah. There was a bit of camaraderie too. I felt, even though I was gassed, I felt like we could, we could do it. There was no quit in, in what we were doing. I want to say that probably was one of our key attributes to having the week go <laughs> as, as successful as we did, as we knew like there is the top of the mountain. It does not go on forever. You will get there. It's just going to feel like forever getting there. And um, 
being able to just, I guess, roll up, just see where you guys would, would be ahead and then stop, like that would help me get to that next spot. Even if it was, <laughs> you know, 40 yards up the hill and we've gotten maybe 100 feet elevation, like it's just good to know, like, oh, they're right there. I can get to that next hurdle. I can get to that next hurdle. If it was, I think I would have given up if it was a solo hunt, but it was kind of like that that group cheer like if I, as long as i can just keep up with them that's going to help me go and i think that really yeah that helped us go through some scenarios that made us successful because we were willing to put in that effort i 100 percent agree like the um the mental fortitude we had greatly outweighed our physical fitness um <laughs> yeah and we just struggle bus through a lot of it um but we did it and yeah the the team aspect of it you know, make it as far as we could and we'll take a break. And if we're in real, really no rush that one night we were trying to rush, but other than that, we were in really no rush. Yeah. Talk to me what it was like when we found the ATV trail, that was a real pivotal moment. And that kind of, it kind of became a central location, at least for our, our, at least our travel at that point, getting up to different points even though we had different drainages in mind, even though we had different spots that we were going, how important was that that we found that? Yeah, the the ATV trail was like, um, yeah, Ray found that on a, on X, and uh, or I don't know where he found that actually, because I don't think it was on there when we had looked, or it wasn't on some trail maps that I had been looking at, um, and he had found that on some map, and um, once we went down there and found out it was closed for the season, but obviously it was easier hiking that really broke the top of the mountain and the backside of those ridges open for us a little bit. It gave us at least a path up there and down that, I mean, that trail was terrible. Let's be honest And the rocks and it was not easy walking, but it was easier than trying to scale straight up the mountain. It really opened up a lot more area for us. Yes. If you picture someone going and demolishing a cinder block building, and then they put all those pieces into the back of a dump truck. And then that dump truck then proceeded to go down this trail and just scatter broken cinder block <laughs> all over the trail. That is essentially what this thing was, quote-unquote, paved with. It was yeah. so rutted out. It was just so much crumbling rock. I am. Everybody had tall boots, and I think, yeah, my ankles aren't broken because I had tall boots because of that stinking trail, man. Yeah, but you're right. It, it was, did. It, it did give us a switch back. It gave us opportunities to to quickly get up that quicker to get up that mountain, and we hit that shoot. I think for the next four days, that was kind of like our our highway to success was was using that. Yeah, yeah. Get up there, and then you know sometimes we we're making a, a mile or two jaunt in either direction. But once we got up. Um, it gave, you know, up top, it was easier to move because it wasn't straight up, you know, we were just hitting the ridge, but, um, yeah, getting up there was the hard part and coming down that trail in the dark coming down was very treacherous. I tell you that loose rock, nothing is, nothing is flat and nothing is solid in Montana. Yep, exactly. You could, you could track me by the end of the week. You could know where Nick was going because every place that Nick would stop, every place that we would have a, a little powwow or a little break and it was going to be longer, everybody was pulling out the phone to try and figure out where we're at, where we're going next. 
I would end up doe or toe digging in the upside of wherever I was at and trying to filter that dirt down and just create a little flat spot. Like just my little, just to flatten my little world out, whether it be 12 inches by 12 inches, I, I just got so accustomed to just, as soon as we stopped, just dig myself a little flat spot because my ankles were just dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We basically never had a spot to stop where it was like truly flat once in a great while, but almost never. So you're just, yeah, those flat spots really did feel great on feet and ankles. Yeah. At that point on that trail, first time, first day we were going up, we had our first experience with actually animals on the hoof at that point. And man, we got surprised, uh, pretty quickly. I mean, I feel like we got caught with our pants down, (laughs) uh, you know, bows totally put away when we walked up on that bull, I never even saw it. I know you and Garrett saw it. Talk to me about what that was like. Man, so Garrett was leading, and he, he dead stops, and I almost run into him. And we're not really hunting at that point, right? We're just, like, kind of trudging up this hill trying to get to the top. Like, we had a goal in mind, and we we learned that we should kind of all be hunting after this experience. But, yeah, we, we he dead stops, and he's like, I see an elk. You know, and I, I dead stop and I'm looking and I, I can't see him. And unfortunately, he's like directly behind this big tree um, from my view, which I learned later. And he goes, it's a it's a big bull. And then he whispers, it's like 60 yards. And I'm like, all right, I can't see him. And it's, it's kind of like a hill and he's taller than me and in front of me. So I assumed like I was out of view, you know, and he was just like up over the hill. He's like, I can barely see it. It just horns. And so I take a couple steps like back away from him slowly and I'm scanning and I don't see anything and I take two steps kind of to my left where it opens up a bit and I'm slowly getting out my bow and you know everyone's kind of like trying to figure out exactly what we want to do and as I look up he's really not like 60 yards he's more like 30 yards and he's dead staring right at me and it, it was just because I couldn't see him through that tree um, but I mean he was he was good size he was a, I don't know exactly what he was but um, he was, he was pretty big and it was, it was shocking, you know, to see that first, uh, elk on the hoof that close. And we had just kind of wandered up on him. Um, I mean, it got us all real excited and he didn't smell us and he didn't run away, but he, he turned and walked away briskly. I would say, um, we tried a couple of calls or something, but he knew something was up and he was out of there. But, uh, yeah, that, that got us all jazzed up. You know, we were all, all pretty excited about the whole whole scenario here in basically possibly that elk the night before and but Mm -hmm. yet not having laid eyes on one yet so here we are day two and we walk up on on an elk i think i was either third or fourth as far as like order coming up the hill i never saw i never saw him um the way that you guys were talking about him like holy smokes he's right there and yeah, again, being down at that angle that I was at, I, I couldn't see, I couldn't figure out where he was coming from. Um, but to be like, holy, like, yes, we we're on him. We did it. Like we are so close yeah. to elk. We're granted if there was an opportunity or not, but it was like, Hey, we were in striking distance of an elk. That was a big, a big win for yeah, us. Yeah, Morning, morning one. Like we had a half day. We arrived the day before we got a, 
a good hike in and some location bugles out. We had heard one, but day like morning of the first full day, we were within bow range of a bull. And yeah, that was a huge confidence boost. And, and for me, at least, at least knowing that, Hey, we're in a spot that there are elk. Um, and we have a, somewhat of a shot. Cause then our second experience, here we are walking up the <laughs> hill. We go no more than a couple hundred yards and yep. we find, uh, that we're going to be going up you know, here. We have a, a cow coming in as us as well. But here's then another problem. We've all set our bows down. <laughs> we put them all on the we're, ground. We're sitting there talking about just seeing walking up on an elk, walking up on a bull, and we set our bows down, grab a snack, and then here comes a cow walking right to us. Yeah, we made some mistakes that first morning. Oh, yeah. I I tried to get to my bow because as close as she was, uh, I think Garrett was ranging her, again, yeah, 30 and 40 yards. And I'm leaning over. I have bent over trying to grab my bow. And you whisper, freeze. She's looking right at you. And here I am with my butt way up in the air. Just nothing I could do. Like, I'm literally looking away from the elk. I can almost touch my bow. And then it was just, yeah, it was downhill from there. Because then I tried to, like, slowly, like, stand up with the bow. And then, yeah, she wasn't having it. She saw us. She figured out what was going on and then took off just like the bull. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was cool though. I got to say, and I was showing my kids that video, um, just last night. I think I was showing them all the videos and they thought that was, that one was pretty sweet. So yeah, I had my phone in my hand. We were trying to figure out how much further we had to go. And so, I mean, she walked right up on us. I just flipped on the video. You tried to bend down and get your bow. I wasn't getting mine. That's for sure. It's nowhere near it. So here we are, you know, our first two experiences, we treated them just like newbies should, not ready, ill-prepared, but it didn't stop us. I think that was a, a new learning for us because then at that point, I don't think we – I know I, I would set my bow down after that in places where I didn't have to turn, I didn't have to bend. It was like – it was literally like right next to me. It was almost a conscious thing like – don't let this bow go at any point. Now there there were times where I did. I had to put the pa- I had to put the bow on the pack because I needed both hands or we're going to be going through some thick country that there ain't no way we're going to get a shot off. This is literally we're just trying to get from point A to point B. But there were a lot of points where it was like, "Hey, don't let yourself get low. Don't let yourself get uh um what do I want to say? Lazy because stuff something's going to pop out. And that's really like all of our experiences were. It was, it was around a bend. It was uh, when we finally reached a top. It was finally when it would just take this little turn of events, and things would go from lollygag nothing to all of a sudden, wham! Here we are in the thick of it, ready to try to put something down. Yeah, exactly. It was. Yeah, it went from zero to a hundred in almost every scenario. It's like. Either we ran into a couple or like, hey, we heard one bugle and then all of a sudden like we're on them, you know, it was like definitely, uh, yeah, definitely um, high anticipation from like doing nothing to all of a sudden we're, we're in them, we're, it's going. I don't even know how to explain it. The adrenaline rush when you, you first get on them or get close to them is truly incredible. <laughs> 
one point that sticks out to me, like I feel like every after every hard trudge or every after what we call them slugs or the slog, we just go through this hard slog of either an ascent, a descend through a bunch of, you know, bad side terrain or whatever it was, and then we would be gifted with this reward of either like thick musk sign of of elk or we would hear them or we would catch a glimpse and the one that really sticks out to me is we ended up coming up a ravine or up a a drainage we were hunting we went from the bottom and came up and we were getting into we were getting into some bedding we were getting into where they were uh they, where they were watering we had a couple elements there but then we found ourselves like, shoot, we got to get out of this hole and we got to get back on top to get over because we're not finding we're not finding the elk that we were chasing. They had they had moved out of that point. And so we had to go up the side of this drainage and, as, and eventually we were going to end up back near that ATV trail that, that kind of like circled around where we were at. And we ended up having to go through a big old rock slide and there was a bunch of it started out like bigger (laughs) boulders and it worked itself down to just this really fine little pebbles that it was all it you would click them together and it would almost sound like plates being broken like it was just real thin rock and really tough we sent garrett up first and of course i feel like he levitated he just like just flew up the side of that yeah he and his you for know, sure he's got he's got some of that in him <laughs> yeah i i swear he's 150 pounds soaking wet going up the hill <laughs> he's already up there we send ray then ray's got big steps he's a tall guy you know you're you have that lean build to you so it's like you had that perfect power to weight ratio as you went up the side of that and everybody seemed to like skirt up this thing, and I I was bringing up the rear. Everything was going good until I took a bad right hand turn at yep. at some dead tree. If you go left, you're left with bigger rocks that you can hold on to. If you go right, you end up in quicksand. <laughs> That's where <laughs> I ended up. I perched on this large boulder. There was one large boulder that I ended up perching on and trying to establish my scenario or my surroundings, and it just it looked really bad. I was like, "This is this is like your stuck territory." I had some couple bad thoughts going through my head too, of like, "Man, you're gonna slip, and it's gonna hurt. This is gonna be really bad." And I look up, maybe to get some guidance, maybe to get some help, some aid. But what I saw was a lot of iPhones just pulled off <laughs> looking at me. Hey. If he's going to bounce, we're at least going to take a video of it. <laughs> to be fair, I think I, I yelled out some words of encouragement at some point. I also <laughs> showed my kids that video last night. And uh, it starts with you, you standing there on that rock looking around. And my daughter goes, is he stuck? <laughs> yeah, he's kind of stuck. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's a quick one. Yeah, Nick was stuck. Nick yeah, was definitely she, stuck. She figured that out quick. Yeah, but I had my 
I had my pack on, or I had my bow on my pack, and it got to the point where I was like, listen, I got to go four by four. I need to not only dig my heels in or dig my toes in, but I just got to start grabbing and digging with my hands. And fortunately, I was able to get up that scary section and actually grab onto, there was kind of a dead tree that was there, but it was big enough and, and sturdy enough that it, it could at least take me pulling on it to to st- to stable myself back up. I tell you that I, that lives in my mind as a moment because like we busted butt to get up that we finally got to the peak. Cause then once we get, we skirted that, we still had another couple hundred feet to get up. Mm-hmm. We get up to the top of that and we are met with a very close bugle. One of those emotional lows, like, man, I feel like I'm working really hard and there's not a lot of payout here. I'm tired. I I need some motivation. And wham, just like that, we hear that bugle. And it was like all that pain and suffering, I wasn't even thinking about it anymore. Like, we've already moved on to our next attack on trying to yeah. get close to that animal. That, the timing on that was truly amazing. Like, we had literally just got to the top. We're like unbuckling our packs exhausted it was a brutal climb dangerous kind of for spots and like before anyone sits down but like just as everyone's unbuckling bam he hammers off right in the next valley below us like could not have worked out better that that started our i want to say one of our early stalks um you know again we were trying to get in formation we were trying to get ourselves lined up in there and that began one of our first uh first attacks on animals and so that that was a good it really did propel us forward uh to the next next couple days there mm-hmm. yeah we learned a lot with that too um we, were, we needed to be a little more aggressive uh on that one we didn't we held back a little too long i think and and the next stock after that you know we got more aggressive and then more aggressive and we got closer and closer to pulling it off um so yeah i think that was the first kind of learning curve on um that really jumped our our potential success rate. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifled barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. So our first attack, our first kind of formation up, formal calling moving forward yeah like you like you were saying we were moving pretty slow uh again we were aimed down we were also 
wind-wise, I think we were still trying to figure that out as well. We had been playing the wind as much as we could, but on that one, things kind of switched up on us, and our thermals were going down. That was, I think, the... That was the time, too, where we smelled the musk of the of elk, of elk bedding, of where they were hanging out. And it was like, yep, they're coming. And we think that the the thermals were still coming up, but they had totally switched on us and they were coming down. So, you know, as we dissect that, as we get further and further, we don't we see less and less sign. And we're like, man, where are these things at? But at the same time, it was like, I think all of that bedding, what we were smelling was a, even above us because we came on, we skirted that side hill to go down into that drainage. So I think we were yeah. getting bedding from above us. But that was, we went down in that drainage and we saw a lot of, uh, again, we saw a lot more bedding. We saw more water. That was also a really active area of yeah. sign, <laughs> both living and dead because that's when we came down there and we found a bunch of, uh, uh, deceased elk that we found that mm-hmm. that carcass that was just strewn oh a whole, long a whole way. drainage find yeah. a bone here find a bone there and we we at the bottom of that we ran into that cow again that's very true uh in near we got that burn she was still hanging out there i was amazed that as high as she was from us she wasn't at the top but then when we noticed her we she she was kicked up by us whether it was sight or smell, but she ran up the side of the mountain like it was flat. Yep. Another yeah, they daunting can move through that country, man. <laughs> oh, a daunting like little detail of like she took off in a way that physically I cannot, I can't even pursue that. There's absolutely no way, and to have them like just reach elevation like that and it's just a, it's just a blink of a blinking of an eye. You're just like, man, how ill, <laughs> how ill suited am I for this scenario? <laughs> yep. If it wasn't for the fact that we started as scavengers to get this thinking brain that we have <laughs> in order to chase down meat and have tools, we wouldn't be on this planet. The fact that we can use no. our brains is the only way that's gotten us here to this point. Yeah. Um. So that was kind of I would if we were if I were to make two chapters or if I were to have like a you know like there there was the early times like that would that would kind of like sum up our early time out there really getting accustomed really kind of figuring out what this is all about we're seeing success but we're still kind of fumbling around with ourselves we then kind of shift gears the next day or the or it was either the day after that where we get to the top and we start glassing we start looking around we start bugling more from the top and you and Garrett discovered looking off onto this uh what we thought was just a single drainage ended up becoming an entire like bowl area that couldn't be accessed we we stumbled yeah, upon it was true a, true wilderness man yeah <laughs> we stumbled upon a hotbed that 
literally the only way to get into this place was to come in through the roof. You had to get all the way to the top. We had to we had basically crest at 8,000 and then go down into this that felt just just as deep going all the way to the bottom. You and Garrett had heard some bulls call out of this. You had I think I think two two were coming back mm-hmm. at you, possible three. You were talking to Ray, who at that point he was struggling with. Um, he had a knee injury. He had a swollen. His knee would swell up. He didn't think he yeah. tore his ACL, but he said something with the, one of those tendons in there was just aggravating him. And so he was going to sit that one out. He was going to perch on top and just glass. And so yeah, you and Garrett are trying to sell the idea of going down into this this hole that I couldn't see the bottom of, or I, I did see the bottom of it. I thought it was a trailhead with two trucks that were sitting in it. Definitely not. It was just a little field with two bushes. <laughs> Pays yeah, to have... Little, to be fair, it was like two miles away. That's very true. I didn't have the binos out. You had the glass, so you could tell me what was actually down there. But we, you sold me on the idea we're going to go on this adventure. We end up... Uh, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna lead us up to and then I want you to then pick the rest of this story up because as we go down into this bowl, we start really playing with a particular elk and we are getting a lot of interaction. We're getting a lot of back and forth. We would bugle, he would bugle, we would even cow call and he would bugle back. We tried to lure him down to the bottom, and we set up there at the bottom for a little while, and it, he wasn't budging. He was like, this is my spot. This is my domain. I know what's going on. You know, we're making these cow calls, and he's probably like, girls, get up here. You need to hang out with me mm-hmm. up here. And so he wasn't coming down to us. We make we make the change. You and Garrett fused a plan. All right. We're going up after him. I want you. I want you to pick up that story because this yeah. is really where things get so stinking intense. This is where adventure really kicks off at this point. I would say this is like one of those like epic climaxes of our trip. We start. Yeah. The, we start ascending. What are we doing? Yeah, and, and so the goal was. I mean, he's. It feels like he's maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred yards away from us, but like very far above us. Not very far. Maybe 100 feet in elevation, 150 feet. He's like up on this shelf, and we're trying to call him down for a while, hours even maybe. And two, like we're in this little grassy field, and there's a river running through it. And there's like a drainage, small, um, you know, maybe 20 feet wide with a little stream coming out of it, like kind of straight in front of us coming down the side of the mountain. He's on the left of that drainage. So we decide we'll go up on the the right-hand side of the drainage and, like, go up and try to get on his level, you know, and call us, call him over to us. And maybe we'll be able to tempt him in that direction. And as we get up there, you know, he's still, like, chuckling and making a ton of noise. He's raking trees. You can tell he's just destroying stuff up there. I don't, I don't remember exactly all the details because so much happened there. But we got to that point and we realized he had moved, you know, kind of, up from us as we had moved up and we might have been lightly calling to try to figure out exactly where he was and so we ended up deciding to cross over this ditch drainage 
um, with running water in it and like hop up in this area, the shelf that he was. And man, it was, it was destroyed. Like there's trees ripped up and trails running through and everything's rubbed. Um, it was clear that he like, it smelled, he was living in there. Like that was his spot. And, uh, yeah, so we, we, he's now across, like he had gone above us and crossed over. And so he's now back on the side of the, the ditch that we were just on. Um, so we kind of set up and do some like cow calling, um, you know, and it was like Garrett was the highest and then it was, I was kind of behind and then you were kind of lowest, but in front of me and he was in, he was across this ditch and we can hear him clearly get angrier after, you know, we hit some cow calls and then we bugled from like his area, his home. And, and you can really hear a change in his like personality back. He's like, Oh no no, you are not up in my air, you know, like this, that's my spot, you know, and, and he gets clearly pissed, but the, the thermals are kind of pulling up still at this point. And I think he's trying to get above us and he keeps working slightly higher, slightly higher. And he wants to be, be above us. And so, um, Garrett's above and he's like, giving me the hand signal, like, all right, let's move up, let's move up. And I think I came over to you and kind of gave you a little tap and said, let's move up. I think there was clearly some miscommunication because I don't think you actually moved up at that point, right? That's where you ended up staying. I I thought you guys were going to move up a little bit, and I from our our communication, I was like, "Hey, I'll I'll post here, and then you guys are going to be a little bit up from me." But then, as events go on, the little bit that you that I thought you were going to go ended up being farther. And it ended up being farther. And pretty soon I was like, I'm getting left in the dust here. I need to start making a move. And so I am now heading towards what I thought was, I was heading towards the the bull we were chasing. But again, he was moving so quick that in all that confusion, I missed the back and forth because I got into the drainage. And the only way to keep myself sent away from everything was to come up that little drainage. So I was playing a completely different game <laughs> than what you and the mm-hmm. bowler doing. Yeah. yeah, and so, yeah, Garrett and I were basically playing leapfrog. Like, he would jump up and have his bow, and I would call, and then I would jump in front of him. And not very far. We were only 20 yards, but it was so thick in there. And we were basically just walking on, you know, elk trails that we were just trying to stay, you know, where we would get a shot if he popped out somewhere, but also kind of get him, keep him riled up. But he kept trying to, he kept moving up and up and up. And finally, we like made a mad dash at one point and like really hustled because we had, we had shut up for a minute and we were just listening and we could hear him over there. And he wasn't really chuckling. He was more just like making this weird throat noise. Um, and, and we were, we just mad dashed up there and we got into this like little clearing. Maybe it was like 20 feet and there were some small pines in there. And then right then we let off a couple of calls and a bugle and, at that point we were very close. I mean, less than 50, probably bow range, but it was so thick. We couldn't see him. And all of a sudden I look up above us. And again, he's still trying to get above us to send us and like kind of above us and to our right, there's like an opening and I see like his tops come through there and they are just so like, this is the first glimpse of, I have of them. And I just remember like thinking like, wow, they're all, he holds a lot of mass at the very tip of his ailers, you know, like truly a lot, but I only seen, you know, that, that, like those two, that flyer up there. And it was just, 
it immediately shook me. Like I thought we were just, it seemed like we were just chasing an average elk. I didn't really know what we were into, but, um, I immediately knew that, you know, he was an exceptional size. Um, and, but the, I mean, the game was on, he was probably, I don't know, I'd say 20 or 30 yards. He's moving from right to left, trying to get directly above us. Um, and so he doesn't have very far to move, but he cuts behind some trees and, and G and I, Garrett, my brother and I both like kind of run up and set up and I draw once. Um, but he doesn't pop out immediately. And then I see Garrett draw, I let down and he's like stepped behind these trees. And from Garrett's perspective, he can see like a little bit of neck and his head and his, all of his horns and his ass but he can't see the vitals and there's like this one pine it's like blocking the perfect shot and he's got like a four inch window that the bull's gonna have to walk through and um he's he's hoping in his head at that point that that bull will take the step and uh you know he'll get a shot but it, it just basically runs through that step it goes from a dead stop to like quick steps and all of a sudden garrett's just got like you know his his hind quarters again in that gap and he gets right above us and the wind's not blowing strong, but the thermals are pulling up and he doesn't do anything immediately. And he, he hangs out up there for a minute trying to figure it out. And we, we kind of look at each other like, Oh no, we're, we're busted. And he, he dives back over that ditch. We've been crossing back and forth and goes over at, again at the same level as us looking back towards us probably about 70 yards. And at this point, Garrett can see his whole body. Um, and, and he barks at us, which I, I had heard of before, but I had never like experienced in any way. This was the most intimidating sound in the woods I have ever heard. It was like deep. It was loud. It was so intense. I don't even want to like attempt to make the sound because I know it'll just be embarrassing, <laughs> but it was like truly like a primal noise. And when he looked back over and he did that bark, I, I immediately thought in my head, like, are there some trees around that I can like get inside to protect myself from this thing? Cause I thought he was going to come back over and like, you know, murder us. He, and Carrot and I looked at each other and I, our eyes had to be, you know, just super wide. We were, we were truly nervous. It, like it was a crazy and, and he made another couple barking noises um, each just as intimidating as the last. And, uh, eventually like worked way higher than we were faster than we could ever keep up. Um, and that's the point where I think I heard you kind of working your way back up to meet up with us. Yeah. I was that small child that came into a family fight because I'm hearing those barks and you hit the nail on the head when you say like, that is one of the most intimidating, like it did. It stopped me. The first one I heard, it literally stopped me in my tracks and kind of really assessed like, do you want to keep walking towards whatever is making that noise? Like <laughs> in the back of your head, you're like, you have a pointy object. How good are you with this pointy object that you can take on whatever <laughs> made that noise? But I kept yep. I, knowing that you guys were up there. It's like, well, shoot, I either got to go play backup or I got to start playing pickup because someone just got ran over. But I knew <laughs> I had to get up there. And yeah, when I met you guys at that point, you were filling me in with all these details. And then I'm like, well, where is he? Oh, 
he's gone. He is way <laughs> up the mountain now. Like we said, like that cow shot up the mountain. This one was even quicker. He was just mm-hmm. up and out of our lives. But what yep. what an experience that was. Oh, truly, like, yeah. That that experience I don't know that I will ever forget. And as you, we'll talk about, I'm sure, soon, um, I had, like, an op- a real opportunity. But that one was, it was just so close and so intense. And I feel like we've seen a lot of, like, decent 5 by 5s and stuff. But he was... I don't know, it felt like you were messing with the old man on the mountain, you know? He was just, like, a true giant, and he he knew he was a badass, and he was proving <laughs> it to us. Um, it was just, like, it was crazy. It was intense. I don't know how many people are baseball fans, but I think of, like, us as Robin Ventura of, at that point, he was with the Sox, running out to the mound to take on the Nolan Ryan, the Texan pitcher, and he uh Robin just got his head lit up by Nolan Ryan. It's an old clip. If you haven't if you're into baseball, you know what I'm talking about, but if you haven't, look up uh Robin Ventura taking on Nolan Ryan. Like I feel like that was the same that was the scenario we were walking into. We were the rookies in this situation and we were messing with a a real veteran. The a guy who owned yeah. the mountain. We had no business being there, but here we were. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was yeah that that was our first indication. And and to be fair, that entire time we were messing with that bull, like the whole valley was going off. You know, there was a bull behind us. There's bull down. There's two way down. Like the entire valley that we were in, like it was clear that no one, no people were hanging out in there. Like the elk were highly populated in there. They were making a ton of noise, and we had heard bugles and messed around with some bulls at that point, but nothing. Like it was very clear. Like this was the spot. Unfortunately, it was, you know, 4,000 elevation change from our camp. (laughs) But what were we thinking about every step of the way, that mind-numbing hike? All I was thinking about was that bark. All I was thinking about was how Mm -hmm. close we were to a legitimate monster. Like, we we were so close in in that, that attempt. Um. Needless to say, we slept really good that night. I uh, yeah. We came back tired. We came back smoked. There was not a lot of downtime. We filled every day. We were sun up to sundown. We were trying to get someplace because there was going to be a setup. There was gonna, The wind was going to be right. We, we had a destination every single day. And after this encounter, we were already thinking like, hey, this is where we are going the next day. We're coming back. As much as it's going to suck, we're going to come back to this spot. Um, we end up finding a foot trail as opposed to an ATV trail. That was much more enjoyable of a hike to get to the top. Yeah, Mind you, it did add a mile, but it was at least an, en- like an enjoyable mile. Like, I mm-hmm. I enjoyed that long way around. It did not. I felt more fresh when we were sitting at the top. I say that because that was also a really foggy, wet morning that yeah. we, got, we got rained on a little bit as we were getting up there. Um, Yeah, I sat down, and I think I hadn't even 
I hadn't even pulled a snack out yet. I think I was just taking off. I forgot my hat that day, and so I had like a like a bandana. I had like one of those neck gaiters, and I had that around my head to kind of just keep my hair back. And I I had just pulled that off, and you took a snapshot that really does. I, I think I posted it on my story, uh, at least the Huntivore story. I I posted it on, but I remember sitting there and just being like, I'm. I'm so tired. I'm making some Gatorade. I'm going to make a coffee and we're going to, we're going to try to feel better here. But I just, I just sitting on this mountain with, with fog rolling in and out and just moving like clouds and just seeing the scenery. Like I was, I was beat, but at the same time, like I felt so alive. I felt so like this is, this is what I've been wanting. This is what I've been needing. Like my soul was just so full at that point, even though my legs were throbbing and I was just a sopping wet mess. But yeah, yeah. that was a, it was a great snapshot. Cause yeah, you were like, you look like a hundred bucks. <laughs> I felt- well, you had also, we came up through that burn and you had found a hiking stick that was burned. It was that same day. And as you're coming up, you had like touched your face or something with your black char hand from that wet burn material. <laughs> and then we kind of joked and made fun of you. And then you took it to the next level, grab a big old handful, you know, give yourself the, the war paint with the, the burn char and charcoal. <laughs> and yeah, you just, you look straight the part that morning, man. You, it was hardcore. It takes, good. it takes wildlife to chase wildlife. And that's what I was going <laughs> for. <laughs> yep. You nailed that one that day. Oh, and just go along with our mental fortitude. Like I, we kept things, I want to say really light. We, we were good at motivating each other. We were good at keeping each other in good spirits. Even when things sucked comment here, you know, a little dig here, a little like just (laughs) well-placed, but at the same time we were all positive with each other. You can do this. We got this. And, you know, physically I felt like, I mean, just my stature alone, all my steps were shorter than everybody else's and I knew my pace was going to be slow. So I was like, Hey, I'm just good with bringing up the rear. I'm just good with being back here. But at the same time, I was like, I wanted to keep things light. And so, yeah, when a little bit of the war paint comes on or yeah, it was just a smudge that was on my forehead. It was like, you know what? Just put on the full, just wipe my hand down with uh, charcoal on the whole side of my face because, I mean, there's nobody here that's going to care. Like, we're out here chasing elk. We're not out here for a beauty contest. I mean, that's why I have an audio podcast because nobody's going to want to look at my face. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was a great that – was, that was a great – I mean, you say, like, that was a great day. And looking back on it, like, as we were doing it, it was brutal. It was so hard. But like the memories you make, what you're mentally seeing, um, like overlaps the physical by so much. And even coming, like, what are we back four days from now or four days out since we've been home four or five days. And I'm like, I'm already like so excited to go back. I mean, even two days back, I was like, man, if we just had like two more days there, I think we could have got it done. And, you know, I'm thinking like, I'm already scheming. Like, how do I get a tag for next year? How do, <laughs> could I, could I make it back for rifle season? Like, I know I can't, but like, I was already thinking that, which just my personality, but yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's freeing for the soul. 
good reset. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm even with you on the rifle thing. I was looking at that. I was like, does it line up with uh, Christmas break? Because I've already burned all my personal days. There ain't, there ain't no, there is no <laughs> savings left. I, It's not even the old days where I could just like, hey, can I buy a positive COVID test off somebody? Like, just borrow that. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. It's like, man, I need, you know, we're going to have to do the Christmas break. and But, yeah, I don't think it's going to work for the family. We're just going to have to, we're, we're plotting, we're planning for the next venture that's going to go out. But we talk about the beginning of this day, and we're sitting there in this, like, wet, misty, foggy morning. It started out slow. And if we had a, if we had our first climax happen, uh, with the old man on the mountain, we we ended up calling him Bob Barker, didn't we? That was the Bob Barker <laughs> yeah. bowl. I think so. Yeah. We then had we went to that same bowl, and we set up, actually on the opposite side. So we were on the other side of the mountain. We came in the the same way that we normally did, but we actually at that point we glassed up. Uh, looking once we got down about three quarters of the way, we glassed up and we got our first eyes on a bull that was bedded. Well, I want to say at that point he wasn't bedded; he was just raking trees. Um, mm-hmm. Again, good glass really helped that out. Um, I think that was the day that I actually left my binos. They were too big for my bino harness, and so it was always a problem trying to get them out. It didn't loosen up what I was hoping that the, 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 uh, uh, vinyl harness would, I thought it would flex open a little bit more. Cause I was trying to just being able to slide those in and out. I ended up actually leaving those. And so you guys were doing all the glassing. I was trying to use my range finder. <laughs> it's got no yeah. magnification. It's just got a clarifier in it. It's like, well, I, that fuzzy shape kind of looks like an elk. <laughs> After about 10 minutes of like, no, Nick, count three bushes from this point and, oh yeah, get to the V, now count the three bushes, and I eventually ended up picking him out. But that started us on our venture where when we found ourselves on an on a flat bench, little bit open country, where we again had some very intimate moments with elk. One of being my absolute closest experience with an elk and then your experience putting it all on the line. Yeah. My experience was early on, earlier on more than yours was we had set up in this clearing on a bench and Ray, Ray was doing an awesome job at calling this time. You know, he was really his, his knee was feeling good. We got up there earlier. We took a break. We got down there. We set up, put Ray behind us. In my as my as far as my perspective was, on my left-hand side, about 50 to 60 yards was Garrett, and then probably 60 to 70 yards on my right was you. You were basically covering a large, wide-open area. Uh in front of you and then you also kind of had this back door that you had to be ready to swing around and take a shot downhill and of of this funnel i was set up middle 
forward of Ray. As we were doing our calling, we were beginning to rally things up. Every bugle then was answered by one bull, got answered by another bull. And then pretty soon those two bulls would go off and a third one would join in. We had one, We had a bull come in from an opposite drainage. Garrett and I picked him off as he, as he uh, crested the hill, excuse me, crested the mountain, basically showing himself uh, fully up there. We watched him send off a bugle a couple times. You know, you see his head rock back, and it's like three seconds before you would actually hear the bugle. And so it was fun to see him start to come down and try to engage into what was going on, try to be in this this rut fest of bugling that was happening. But as we're watching these big elk, these big bulls start to kind of like circle the top, we were watching the other two that we had glassed up, and now we're watching this one on the opposite side. Unbeknownst to us, here comes a spike, and he comes directly out of the woods that was above us, he comes into the clearing, and he kind of first puts his his neck out, his head. As he puts his head out, he looks, He he's licking his nose, he's trying to get things moving, he's trying to get some scent on his, and he's working his way towards the calls. He gave me a 40-yard shot. He turned, he gave me a 15-yard shot. But at the same time, I can't. we can't shoot uh, spikes because of regulations. So I, I couldn't even, even though I was presented with these shots, I literally just kept the bow on the ground. Like, Nick, it's not an option. You can't don't, don't even toy with it. But to have these experiences, and when he gets to 15, and to have him not look at me, but look through me, he's trying to look behind me, and so he's, he's reacting the same way as if I was a tree. To then turn his body and come directly at me with a clearing five yards away and literally walk by that. I could see like individual hairs. I could literally, if I leaned far enough, I could have pet that thing. But even with it being a spike, that thing was the size of a horse. <laughs> it was a horse. <laughs> Huge. It was a horse on stilts. And Garrett was able to capture a couple images that there's just the video clip of him walking and actually literally eclipsing me, just covering me up as far as the vision goes. You see, you see the elk look back at Garrett, and you just know that right on the up opposite side, I'm standing there. The video ends before I have my reaction, but I am I am mouth agape. I am like my knees are knocking. Like what a cool experience to be that close to a wild animal. I, I don't know how much experience that, that animal had with humans being in its in its area. You know, maybe it's got a lot of interaction or not. But at the same time, I mean, once he sm- smelled us, once he got past me and he smelled uh, Garrett and I, oh, yeah, he was he was out of Dodge. He was gone. Yeah. But that Man, really, that was, that really that made cool. the trip for me. As much as he's yeah. not dead. He is still living. Mm-hmm. He's on that mountain in my mind. Like, I put three arrows in him, one at 40, one at 15, mm-hmm. and one at five. <laughs> He's, he, he, was, he was dead in my book. So I, I walk yeah. away with my tag like, yeah, yeah, I didn't hit anything. But at the same time, like, 
I mentally filled. <laughs> yes, mentally filled. Yours, yeah. on the other hand, you had Ooh. a Hail Mary that you know, I don't think anybody anybody who's ever hunted elk, I don't think anybody could dock what happened on your scenario. Um, we are running low on time, so I want to make sure I leave enough time for you to explain uh, how how you felt in this whole experience. Talk to me about your about your elk, about your he was what was he a five by five? Yeah, and and he had been circling like I could see him every once in a while, almost for probably almost an hour. Like he would be like way out in the bushes, you know, in this this brush, and I'd see him cross through a gap or something, and uh, eventually he had made his way like pretty close to me, but just out of bow range and then around through the top. And he came out in front of you guys at the very top of the hill. And I think he was at, for Garrett, he was at 75. Um, and I couldn't see him at that point, but I had slid forward knowing that he had spent his whole rest of the night over to my right, hoping that he'd cross right in front of me. And so I, I slid up the hill, slid up the hill, keeping kind of like a big pine tree in between me and where I kind of thought he was. And then kind of pretty quickly, and it's getting dark-ish. Like, the sun had set. Like, it's this is that, you know, half hour, 40 minutes after the sun was, like, below the mountain. I mean, it's still daylight out, but, you know, the, there's no direct sunlight on the field anymore. Um, and he he walks pretty quickly, like, right out in front of me. And all of a sudden, you know, boom, he's standing right there. And it seemed like he was easily within bow range, but he's staring right at me. I've got my bow up. And I guessed him at 60 yards, and I've been shooting at 60 yards all summer. Felt very confident in it. You know, I slowly drew back, settled. I felt great about the shot, let it go, and it went directly underneath of him. I mean, he I watched him jump. He, it startled him, and he landed. And you guys didn't actually know that I had shot, but you were you cow-called because I, I think you were trying to pull him back because no none of us could see each other. We didn't really know, you know where we were set up. So you guys were trying to pull him back towards you. And you had cow called enough to like calm him right back down. Um, and I, I don't know really what happened. I, to be honest, I, I can make a bunch of excuses. I think he was quartering, like the more I replayed in my head, I think he was quartering towards me a little more than I had thought like coming downhill. So I didn't have a full broadside shot. Um, but then knowing that I just went under him, I pulled out my range finder real slow. And at this point he's kind of looking around, but I got a tree right behind me. And I ranged him, and he was at 58 or 59. So I guessed the yardage almost perfectly. I don't know what happened with the first shot, um, but I reloaded. I drew back, you know, went through my whole steps, settled, felt good about it. Um, you know, he's right there, and I let one go, and I hear, you know, thump, like, boom, hit something hard. It wasn't like a pop, you know, like a cavity hit. And I immediately, like, like it went from, like, that yes hit him to, like, starting to like recalculate what had happened. And as he ran away, I could see him give like a, a pretty good limp. You know, he favored that front leg. And I, I immediately almost started getting nervous about it. Um, and at that point we still had a bunch of bulls around and we had unfilled tags and we were at the end of the week. So I kind of like, I marked where I was standing and I grabbed my call actually. And I kind of looped around cause there was a bull behind us and I was going to, I actually called a little bit more trying to pull that bull um, up from below us, but I, I, I almost immediately lost sight of the bull I shot, you know, and he ran, ran past, but, um, yeah, it turns out it, it just wasn't a, a great hit. I hit that front leg. Um, you know, we tracked him for 
65 yards maybe. We found the arrow, um, drip a little blood here, drip a little blood there. I mean, we were, we spent, what, three or four hours crawling on our hands and knees, um, tracking it, and finally just dried up, and we circled and circled and circled there and just couldn't find another drop of blood. Um, right after he did run off, maybe 30 or 40 seconds later, a bull did bugle, basically what we learned right in the direction that he had ran and that's why i was so nervous about it like i didn't love the sound of the hit i didn't love the way he ran off and then i heard a bull bugle in his direction and i don't think they could bugle with no lungs so um <laughs> i didn't feel great about it and then especially after we did the blood trail you know found the arrow it was pretty clear it was just you know he hit that front leg on elk i just didn't make um i don't know exactly what happened but it didn't it didn't make a killing shot so it was a real low point for me you know i felt terrible you don't like hitting animals and not not retrieving them not recovering them i think we did our due diligence on the mountain trying to trying to stalk them and we or track him pretty confident you know 100 percent confident that he made it and that wasn't like a, a mortality hit and uh i think about 11 or so we ended up calling it and we spent the next what three hours getting back to camp we got back about two something in the morning <laughs> through a pretty brutal hike i would say like whatever you whatever debt you owed to that animal like the mountain made you pay it back in spades oh. like that slog was awful but yeah. at the same time like you're exactly right like you you had put in the practice and i don't want to say like you put anybody in that situation, you've got a once in a lifetime, I don't want to say once in a lifetime, our first chance to try to get to an elk and we make an educated risk. You did your best to try and guess the range to get that arrow uh, to where it needs to go. If, if you're bow hunting and you haven't hit an animal and had it get away from you, it's like, just wait a little bit, bud, because it's always an uncertainty especially when you're using archery tackle you can't i mean we i i try to have a heavy arrow that's what i've tuned things for i call it my plan b arrow because if i'm gonna have something go wrong i want to have every chance that i can uh, in my favor but no like you said you had two shots on that you took them you did you know hail mary shots to get this this is a huge thing you can't do it without risk and yeah the animal end up winning and but uh, yeah. no, what what an amazing experience that was. Yeah, I mean it was the highlight and the low light of my trip. Um, you know, it was tons of emotions that go through that. Um, but I'll definitely be back to uh, to redeem myself on that one. I think. Well, thanks again, Brock, for coming on. Uh, hold on a second while I let our listeners on out, folks. I hope you enjoyed our tale. I hope you enjoyed hearing about our saga, both in a way that we can learn from it and glean some information, but at the same time, just to be able to enjoy the majesty of going out of state to go out west and to chase critters that we've never chased before. Yes, we talked about some highs that we had, some really close encounters, and some amazing camaraderie that we had. And then topple that off with some lows, the drama of being in an environment that really does not care whether you are successful or not. 
I also want to chalk it up to just our stick to itness. The fact that, you know, we came in knowing that this was going to be tough, that we were going to have to go through some tough times, and just to have the mental fortitude to keep on pressing, to keep on learning, and learn the hard lessons and try to recover even in those situations. So, folks, if you find yourself uh, going out west, make sure that you. Uh, check and double check your gear make sure that uh, you keep everything as light as possible and the knives and broadheads that you bring out they had all better be sharp